0: Welcome to Michael Easley in Context. It's a joy to have Autumn Lindsay Higashi on the broadcast today. And before I tell you a little bit about Autumn, I need to tell you I've known her dad for 25 plus years, maybe. Your father and I are are both involved with Logos, the Logos Bible software. Of course, I actually probably have socks older than your dad, so... (laughs) But anyway, I... I've known him a long time, but uh, when, in different churches I've served, and when I was with Moody, Scott would come and do presentations, and he's been on the podcast a number of times. So when your story kind of broke, your father was an insufferable promoter of his daughter. And so anyway, we're happy to have you on the program, and I'm so Thankful you agreed to come. Autumn first became involved in the pro-life movement when she joined a local student for life group, October of 2016. So as this timestamp, that's six years ago. She's lived in the Washington State her whole life. She grew up in a classical home school co-op. And during her formative years, she completed a national homeschool speech and debate league. And that's going to come into play, uh, as you'll see. In February of 2017, she filmed a rebuttal video in response to a Teen Vogue article that was making light of and even promoting abortion. The video went as we say, viral. And Autumn found a platform to voice her passion for the pro-life movement. Now, Autumn is a spokesperson for Students for Life, and she speaks on pro-life events around the country, as well as contributes digitally in this area. Now, now, Autumn, this bio didn't have all your hits. You, you've been all over the media. What, what's been like the biggest surprise media-wise you got to to participate in?
1: I feel like as the years go by, I'm just continually surprised because, I mean, I grew up in a small town. I'm homeschooled. I did speech and debate. There's nothing super crazy, unique, or wild about, you know, a majority of my life. And so for a lot of time, I was just continually surprised that people continued to, you know, look to me and, you know, want to interview or have me speak. I was just like, okay, you know, like a lot of it I felt unprepared, but the Lord continued to, you know, (laughs) give me what I needed at the time being, which I was forever thankful for that. I remember right after this launched, I got asked to speak at a music festival and I taught a 40 minute workshop in front of 500 people at 17. I remember standing out and looking at the crowd and just thinking, I don't know how I got here. And I don't really know why I'm qualified to be here, but I know that the Lord has a plan for me. So I'm just going to shove every nerve that I feel down and I'm just going to go for it. So As the years went by, more and more opportunities open up. I was invited to the White House to speak with Vice President Mike Pence along with 11 other students to talk about the pro-life movement and what's happening. You know, and then I've had some less pleasant interviews. You know, I've been on NBC, I've been on NPR, you know, just to kind of hear the voice of the pro-life movement because I think a lot of it is the media frames it as everybody is pro-choice, especially the younger generation. And when they hear a young person speaking about the pro-life movement in a positive light, they're a little bit shocked. And so I'm honored to get to represent the pro-life generation and to kind of be the announcer that not everyone is pro-abortion. And actually, this is the most pro-life generation we've had in all of history, which is why we call ourselves the pro-life generation.
0: When I was growing up, of course, uh, Roe v. Wade, I was finished high school in 75. So 72 is Roe v. Wade. And I still remember I was raised Roman Catholic. I came to Christ and left the Catholic church years later. But I recall how we were just mind boggled that Roe v. Wade passed. And my generation was focused on two things, on the sanctity of life and the protection of marriage, one man, one woman. And as Culture has changed, and so forth, and so on. I remember talking to a, another conservative Christian politician who said we lost the two biggest battles of our lives with marriage and the pervasive action of abortion. So it's interesting because I remember, and I've talked to younger people on and off on the program, and they're almost passe about LGBTQA Obergefell, and they're almost passe about abortion. That said. What's happened, Autumn, to this younger generation? And and, uh, let me applaud you. First of all, when I look at Instagram and survey the number of young men and women, and women have a louder megaphone, obviously, to speak to this. What's happened that young people have finally said, enough, we've got to speak out, we've got to make this known what really is happening? What's your take on that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a number of of different factors. I think, you know, first the people I've never known in America without Roe v. Wade. And so I think for a lot of it, of my generation, it's hard to get them to have the same shocking reaction as people who were there when Roe v. Wade passed. You know, that was a huge shift in culture and people were devastated. And the generations to follow, they, you know, were born into it. It was what was the norm. And so I think the difficult thing that we have now with this generation is breaking the norm and then sharing truth because it's harder to, you know, share something with somebody when they already believe it's so accepted. It's so normal. It's everywhere around us. And I think that's also part of the problem is that, you know, there's been 63 million children that have been killed by abortion since 1973. That number in and of itself is daunting. And I think for some people, it's easy to think, well, there's nothing I can do. And You know, it's too big of a problem. Even if I am pro-life, you know, this is never going to end, right? And so that leads to a passive attitude when it comes to abortion. And so I think that's why, you know, especially organizations like Students Wife of America has really helped shift the culture because we've said, no, it is possible and we can end abortion and we can see progress in this, even if Roe v. Wade is still intact, and especially right now, the time that we're in with Roe v. Wade on the line, I think people are feeling that potential shift in culture. And so students wife kind of what they do is they start groups on middle school, high school, and college campuses to change culture, to change hearts and minds, and to have conversations about abortion. Because what we've found is when we're talking about abortion, we're winning. When we're on campus and we are starting these conversations, when we're sharing truth, we see minds changed right then and there. And I think that that is, you know, one of the things that has happened helped us kind of shift a culture back into a culture of life is we have so much more information. You know, 50 years ago, it was easier for somebody to say, oh, it's just a clump of cells. Well, with the study of embryology and the technology of ultrasounds, we can actually show and prove that that's not true anymore. It's very hard for somebody to look at an ultrasound and say, there's nothing there, right? And so I think that mixed with you know organizations like Students for Life, willing to you know be the boots on the ground, to be in culture, to be on college campuses, to be on social media, to continue to share truth, I think that's really what's helped see us so much growth in the movement. And I think, you know, another factor of it is I think the pro-choice side has actually been doing more harm for themselves than they realize. Because, you know, as especially with Roe v. Wade on the line, we've seen a rise in the aggression, in the violence. They are calling this a summer of rage. And you've seen probably that there have been pregnancy centers that have been bombed, have been attacked, have been vandalized. And I think with the rise in that, I think it's making people question, do I really want to be on their side? You know, why why are they responding in this way? If, if the pro-choice side is so pro-woman and pro-choice, then why are we vandalizing organizations that are providing women free care, free alternative nonviolent care? And so I think with the rise in aggression, I think in some ways it's actually you know opening people's eyes to what the pro-abortion side really is. And if you promote violence in the womb, it's a very short jump to then being violent, you know, towards pregnancy resource centers, towards pro-lifers. You know, I have been physically and verbally harassed so many times I cannot even count by pro-choice advocates at rallies. You know, I've stood there with my sign trying to be peaceful, you know, whether I have a bullhorn or just a sign. And the signs usually say something like, pro-life is pro-woman or pregnant, we can help you, right? I mean, the things that we are advocating for are care and life. And I've stood there with a sign and people, I remember one time I had this older man standing next to me and he just started elbowing me in the ribs. And I remember just standing there like, I don't, first of all, I don't know how this is helping anyone. And second of all, I don't know how you can claim to be pro-woman and then verbally and physically harass (laughs) a woman just because you disagree with her. And so, I think, you know, just as culture changes and as the two sides ramp up, I think it's really showing the true colors and the true colors of the pro-life movement are love, compassion, care, truth, and resources for women. And I think the true colors for many pro-abortion, pro-choice advocates is abortion. And what is abortion? It's the killing of an innocent human life. And I think that's harder to defend, you know, and as culture changes, they're kind of gripping on even tighter.
0: Now, you've been kind several times to say pro choice. And e- even that nomenclature to me is interesting because early on it was pro abortion and pro life. Yeah. And then it became pro choice and then it became women's health because language is everything. Mm-hmm. And the nomenclature any group uses has to be continually nuanced so it's more acceptable, right? I'm intrigued by it. why do you choose to call it pro choice?
1: I kind of use them interchangeably um, you okay. know a lot of times I think that the reason I use them interchangeably is because I think people kind of have in their mind what I've seen is they'll accept that some people are pro-abortion they'll accept that some people are pro-choice without realizing that I think those are just the same things and so sometimes I'll use them interchangeably to kind of to show that there isn't really a difference between the two and you know when you call yourself pro-choice okay the question is what? choice because i'm pro choice for a, a lot of things right? right you know i i think that women should absolutely have choices in their lives and even what to do with their own bodies the difference is the child in her room is not her body and so i am more than happy and willing to say that i am anti that violent choice just as i'm anti choice of somebody deciding they want to walk into the street and murder somebody right and so when they use this term pro-choice, I think it's important to kind of nail down, okay, what choice are you talking about? Abortion? Okay, then you should be comfortable being called Mm pro-abortion. But I think a lot of times, you know, that's just kind of, you know, what people refer to the two sides as, pro-life and pro-choice. And so I think as pro-lifers, you know, you should be able to be comfortable to kind of to take both terms and still be able to disagree with it and try to have conversations.
0: Are you a fighter by nature?
1: I would say so, a little bit. I think the pro-life movement unlocked that. You know, in my life, I didn't have too many areas where I needed to be a fighter. And I think when I joined the pro-life movement, that was probably amplified in my personality.
0: So we'll have the link in the show notes to your Teen Vogue response. Any idea that was going to blow up like it did?
1: Definitely not. I remember, I mean, before that, I wasn't doing anything really in the pro-life movement. I knew that I was pro-life and, you know, I thought I had a good understanding of what abortion was, but I didn't really realize there was movements within it. You know, I didn't realize there was a pro-life movement and pro-choice activists. I kind of thought people were just pro-life or pro-choice until I saw that Teen Vogue article. Um, It was titled, What to Get a Friend Post-Abortion? And it was targeted towards teenagers. And it was things like an F uterus pin and a funny movie and sparkly underwear. And I just remember thinking... Yeah, I don't think that this is how we should be addressing this. You know, regardless of where you stand on abortion, it's important to acknowledge the seriousness of the topic. And so, I sat down and I wrote a ten-minute script because you know when I did speech and debate, that was the normal. I wrote ten-minute speeches, and so well, that, I thought, that
0: was my next. That was I was going to interrupt you and say now you, your your debate <laughs> training is coming into play. <laughs> yes,
1: yes. You know, looking back, it's kind of a long video for a social media clip. Ten minutes. But I remember reaching out to Students for Life and asking if they wanted to share it. And I thought maybe, you know, a couple hundred views. I just thought if if at least a few girls my age were able to see it and it was able to resonate with them or maybe make them think twice about where they stood on abortion, then great. That's, you know, what I wanted to do. And and looking back, I actually think it's probably good that I didn't have expectations because it may have overwhelmed me too much to know what was coming. So I think sometimes, (laughs) you know, God doesn't give us too big of a picture into the future because he knows that. You know, it might freak us out. And I just remember going back in, and the next day after they had posted it, it was the day they posted it, it had, you know, 200,000 views after just a few hours. And I remember just thinking, whoa, 200,000 people have seen my face and they are talking about me in the comment section as if I'm somebody. And then by the end of the week, there was over a million. And by, you know, The next few weeks, you know, other news outlets had picked it up. There was just several million views on this video, and I was getting interview requests and speaking requests, and thankfully I did have a little bit of speech and debate training on my belt where I felt like I was able to do that, but so, 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 so unexpected. But, you know, honestly, the last five years have just been a continued series of unexpected events that God has opened doors and, you know, helped me walk through.
0: You study debate, so you know an ad hominem argument when you attack the individual as opposed to the issue. And this is what's striking about the pro-choice, pro-abortion, mm-hmm. you know, aggregate is that we don't talk about the issues. We we've had on the podcast Stephanie Gray, who did a phenomenal debate. You probably know her. It was extemporaneous. She was debating a college professor, mm-hmm. and uh, and she told the story. And you. I'm sure you know it far better than me that she was debating a college professor and he was talking about biology and how the human, you know, how we're made and everything has multiple functions. Mm -hmm. And she said, not the uterus. And it was like a haymaker comment, and, and that kind of launched her. You, you may know her you know, as a friend. That launched her into a whole new arena. And, again, it, it just goes back to if you can attack the individual and get mad and elbow this young teenage girl for her position, see, that's defensible in that ad hominem world, but that's not talking about the issue.
1: Yeah. Well, I can't imagine trying to fight for something without having any form of foundation, you know, and I think that's why they have to result to violence, why they have to result to harassment, why they have to result to bullying, because they have nothing else. They don't have any truth on their side. Science disagrees with them. Basic logic disagrees with them. Biology disagrees with them. And if you have nothing, then I'm sure you get very desperate to try to prove your point. And the only thing you can do at that point is silence every single person who disagrees with you. You know, on social media, we've seen this so many times, you know, pro-life accounts being absolutely censored. I've had so many people on my account just there to bully, to troll. You know, the DMs that I have got, I can't even repeat. The things that they come up with, just the— I'm sure, absolute like insanity gross inappropriate and weird messages and it's because they don't have anything else i have never felt the need to result to harassing somebody in order for them to agree with me because i know that truth speaks for itself and truth fears no investigation and i don't need all the gimmicky stuff and i think that's the power of the pro-life movement we're able to say life begins at conception and abortion hurts women and that's why we're pro-life
0: Do you think, and it's maybe a rhetorical dumb question on my part, do you think that the anger and the ad hominem is the only way you can, quote, defend the argument to kill an unborn child?
1: I think it has to be, you know, I don't believe that there's any justification to kill an innocent human being. And I think that deep down they know that, which is why they have to result to the emotive language, why they have to result with the euphemisms and the way that they speak about abortion. I've never met a pro-abortion advocate who speaks about abortion accurately and honestly, right? It's always clump of cells, women's health care, choice, it's never dismembering, crushing souls, and ripping babies limb from limb. That's what abortion is, and none of them speak about it in an honest light, and I think it's because they either know that they can't, and they're being dishonest, or they themselves have been so lied to that they don't understand what abortion is, and at that point, I think it's why it's so important for us to continue to have honest conversations to shed light on abortion.
0: And and can I add the hurt of the individual? If you had an abortion as a teen or a Mm 20-something, maybe a young woman that doesn't know God and far from Christ and they went through this experience, how indefensible would that be for that long, you know, quiet night when you're realizing I killed a child? Yeah. Uh, Yeah, So you have, yeah, put the anger at bay to keep it at bay.
1: Yeah. And my heart breaks for, you know, post-abortive women, especially those who are in the pro-choice realm. Because, you know, for us, if there's somebody who has had an abortion, we have nothing but love and compassion and care for them. And we want to treat them the way that Jesus would, you know, with love. And we also understanding that in christ is healing for these women you know if they have suffered from an abortion there's no shame or guilt or hurt that they have to carry they can put that on the cross and they can find peace and rest in the lord and then i you know my heart breaks for those women in the pro-abortion side who have to pretend like it's nothing because otherwise it makes their side look bad they completely ignore post-abortive women who struggle who regret their decision because they can't say i think i made the wrong decision because then that makes every you know pro abortion advocate look bad. It's an entire demographic of women that they completely ignore and my heart breaks for them, which is why, you know, it's another heart of the pro life movement. We want to welcome and and shower these women with love and connect them with resources so that they can find healing.
0: Do you think and I'm using agnostic here, not in a not believing in God agnosis, Mm -hmm. but the agnostic person, the person at home who maybe hasn't been personally affected by abortion or isn't necessarily pro-life or pro-choice or whatever, do you think that person, when they hear the argument, do you think they can differentiate? Because I've watched some of these videos of Students for Life, and I say this to my own shame to some degree, the evangelical Protestant reform-leaning groups tend to be a little bit on their heels. The Catholic kids Mm -hmm. seem to be fighting this fight like nobody's business. And I I just look at these groups, whether it's the group you're involved with or others, and I go, they're smiling, Mm -hmm. they're happy, they are loving, as you've articulated, over against the Me Too movement that's yelling and screaming and the language and the crazy apparel. And I go, do you think an agnostic viewer would can differentiate that or is that is that too word of a question
1: i think they can if it's accurately described in media i think that's another battle that we have to fight you know we'll be at the supreme sure. court and it's funny because the media will almost completely ignore us like it, it feels like they're weaving between us trying to get to the pro-abortion advocates to interview them and to film them and take photos of them you know, at the, at the Women's March, we had dozens of pro-lifers there to counter-protest, and none of that was reported whatsoever. And, and the March for Life is one of the largest gatherings in Washington, D.C., yeah. and you don't hear about it unless you are heavily involved in the pro-life movement because nobody wants to cover it and talk about it. And so I think, you know, that's part of the battle of trying to convince people that there are pro-life students, that there's pro-life families because they're so, you know, Shh, no, you don't exist. You know, they kind of push us into a corner and so I think it's trying to break out of that and to show you're not alone if you're pro-life and there are hundreds of thousands of people who agree with you who believe what you believe and want to be passionate about it. So I would hope that somebody would be able to look at the two sides, you know, groups that are vandalizing pregnancy resource centers, people that are vandalizing students on college campuses and, you know, think twice or at least be set back by that. And then to see the work of the pro-life movement and to see students walking alongside pregnant and parenting students, you know, there on the sidewalks of Planned Parenthood and all the work that they're doing in their own communities.
0: You know, Cindy and I have four children, four adult children, and three of them are adopted. Mm-hmm. And we, we didn't adopt as a Christian you know, response to help. I know orphan care is a big topic, and my wife is very involved with that as well. But that wasn't our motivation. Cindy always wanted four kids, and mm-hmm. we couldn't have no more children biologically after we had our firstborn. Mm-hmm. And so we adopted three more. And each of those kids has their own path. They have their own unique wiring. But they would all say they're glad they're alive. Yeah. and you know and i would often try to have this conversation with people that were pro-abortion say you know i got three people under my roof that they got their own challenges but they're glad they're alive and they're glad their mother chose not to abort mm-hmm. and it seems again that's another one of those ad hominins we can't talk about that it's too factual mm-hmm. um my body my choice i get to do with it yeah but you can carry that to term and there's I know what, I think last time I read there was something like 4,000 plus couples in line for one available domestic infant. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think,
1: you know, nationwide there's two, I think there's around like 2 million families just on a wait list. And then, yeah, yeah, if you break it down, it's not very many babies to how many women and families who are, are looking to adopt. I know my sister, she's and, on the wait list right now to adopt. And the problem is there's just not enough babies. There's hundreds well, of Well And
0: then they'll counter, well, foster care. And we're well involved with foster care, too. And what, what they don't disclose on foster care is those aren't always easy adoptions because you might have termination parental right issues. You might have other legal complications with the child mm-hmm. when they're in foster home that yeah. they can't be what they call a forever home. Mm-hmm. And then there's there's the other unseemly conversation that when you do adopt an older foster child, it may well disrupt your family in an enormous way. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, we were tutored under the, you never adopt older than your youngest child. Now that's old school. And I know there's, we have friends that have done that and done very well. But that said, I'm bringing this up just to say there are options mm-hmm. besides the, you know, my body, my choice. And then wh- what's your thought on, there's always an overreaction. They're going to come after the next thing. They're going to come after, you know, and it's not, let's talk about Roe v. Wade. They're going to dissolve gay marriages. They're going to, I mean, they, they just jump. Why, what's your take on why they react so violently with these overstatements?
1: I was actually in Washington, D.C. for the month that Amy Coney Barrett was appointed to the Supreme Court. So during her confirmation hearings, you know, that entire process, I was actually living in Washington, D.C. to be there. You know, I was at the Supreme Court almost every day because there was rallies and events and protesters. And so we were there to make sure that there was a supportive voice for her. And I remember when she got appointed, I was kneeling at the Supreme Court praying with our team, and we just heard everyone started screaming and chanting. And my first thought was, okay, it's either really good or it's really bad. I remember I stood up, and everyone was just chanting. ACB was confirmed. And, you know, it was such a powerful moment. But I remember right after that, I was doing an interview. And at the time, I didn't realize that the people interviewing me were not on my side. They were, like, being friendly and peppy. And then the interview started, and it was like... Immediately, I knew that they were trying to get me into a corner, and I remember them asking me, so why are you excited? Are pro-lifers excited because you believe that Amy Coney Barrett will use her personal religion and beliefs to influence her decisions made on the Supreme Court? I remember saying, well, no, actually, I hope she doesn't. I hope she looks at science. I hope she looks at the Constitution. And there is absolutely no mention of abortion in the Constitution. What there is a mention of, though, is the right to life. And science is very clear that life begins at conception. And so... You know, when we want Supreme Court justices on the court, we're not saying we want them to use their personal beliefs. We want them to use biology and science and basic common logic to understand that the decision made in 1973 was incredibly flawed. I mean, the entire case mm-hmm. was flawed. You know, Jane Roe, Norma McCorvey, she, they found a young, poor, vulnerable woman to take advantage of. They made up the story that she was raped and she was looking for an abortion and, you know, the entire thing, you know, and it came out years later, you know, she was never raped and she never had an abortion. She actually placed her child for adoption, right. you know, so the entire case in and of itself was flawed. And then just the complete disregard for human life and the complete disregard for the scientific fact that life begins at conception. That's why we have an issue with Roe Wade. It is not because people... Are wanting to use their personal religious beliefs, absolutely I am pro-life because I'm a Christian, but I can also make an entire pro-life stance based on science and logic and reasoning and not mention my faith at all. And so I think that that's the difference of, as people are feeling like conservatives are trying to take over and, and you know Christians, they just want their religion in every aspect of life and they're trying to take us over. They're trying to control our lives. And when it comes to the issue of abortion, that's not true. I work with a lot of people in the pro-life movement who are not Christian. There's an organization called Democrats for Life. There's another one called POW, and it's Progressive Anti-Abortion Uprising. And it, it is a group of progressive atheist, anti-abortion activists. And, you know, I love working with them because it shows that this is not just a religious argument. It is a human rights argument. It's a human rights violation that children are being killed in the womb. And that is why we fight this fight.
0: When you're on the steps of the Supreme Court or other student gatherings, have you had opportunity to talk to some young women and Maybe not. Maybe you've changed, seen their mind change, or maybe you've just seen a conversation where it's moved a little bit. What have been some of the? If you can summarize, what are the things that make sense or that mm-hmm. make people pause and go, I hadn't thought about that.
1: Mm-hmm. I would say probably at the Supreme Court, typically the environment is not the best environment to have those conversations. Right. You know, I'm actually criticized often because I'll go to you know these events, and we have bullhorns and we're chanting, and it's all very peppy and lively and and joyful but you know many people will say well you're not doing anything you're just there to make them mad and i don't even know and i think that you know it's because they don't understand the environment right i guess they want us to go and to have one on one conversations but The other side, at these types of events typically are not receptive to these one-on-one long conversations, right? They're there to protest. That's why they're there. But I have seen a lot of progress on college campuses and even on the sidewalks of Planned Parenthood. I remember I was there Praying, there's an organization called Forty Days for Life, and they host vigils outside of abortion clinics for forty days straight. They have people praying every hour of every day for forty days straight, and so I was out there, and a group of young women came to counter protest us, and they had their handmade signs and and she said, "I stand with Planned Parenthood, so I just walked up to her and I asked you know, why do you stand with Planned Parenthood? Why do you support them? And she shared that she was a victim of sexual assault and she supports Planned Parenthood for that reason. And so I asked her, I said, well, are you aware that there is, you know, video proof of Planned Parenthood refusing or failing to report instances of sexual assault? You know, there's been undercover videos of, you know, older men, you know, posing as pimps or people bringing in young girls with a clearly uncomfortable and inappropriate situation. And Planned Parenthood just zips their lips. They'll perform the abortion on the young girl and they send them out their way without absolutely anything. And they're technically obligated to legally report those instances. I also one time called our local Planned Parenthood and I said... Hi, I'm a 17-year-old girl and my boyfriend is over the age of 18 and I don't want my parents to know that I'm sexually active and I really don't want them to know that I got pregnant and I need an abortion but I don't want my boyfriend to get in trouble and I don't want my parents to find out, do I have any options? And they said, absolutely, as long as you don't disclose that in your appointment then we don't have to report it and we live in a state where there's no parental notification or parental consent laws so you can come in and we can get you that abortion and you'll be fine. And on the phone, they tried to book me the appointment, which is proof that they are more concerned with providing or committing abortions than they are protecting young women who are walking through their doors. It's not about women. It's about abortion, and it always has been. And I think as the years progress, we're seeing that more and more.
0: What's an abortion cost at Planned Parenthood?
1: Typically around $500. Right now, we're kind of in a unique and new battle with the unleashing of the chemical abortion pills. We actually call them chemical coat hanger abortions because, you know, one of the biggest arguments is well, if you ban abortions, then women are going to have to do self performed abortions. It's going to be coat hanger abortions. Which are extremely dangerous, and yet they are advocating for abortion pills to be sent to women's homes without any appointment, without any ultrasound, nothing. And we know that, you know, in instances of an ectopic pregnancy, if a woman takes abortion pills, she'll die. You know, these are incredibly dangerous, they have so many health risks, and yet they are wanting pretty much every home in America to be an abortion facility because they want women to be able to order abortion pills without any doctor note, without anything to just be sent to their house. And that is incredibly dangerous. I mean, regardless of where you stand on abortion, that should be something that you're weary of. That should be something that you refuse to support because it's incredibly dangerous. You know, and so we've seen a huge rise in that with upcoming years, especially as states have uh, started to outlaw abortion. And, you know, if Roe v. Wade is overturned, you know, that doesn't mean that abortion is going to be legal in every state all over. But there are many states that have trigger laws, which would kind of put them into a more pro-life stance when their are laws. So if Roe v. Wade is, you know, indeed overturned, then a lot of things are going to change. And that's why they're being so, so adamant about, you know, getting these abortion chemical pills, you know, into people's hands.
0: Again, back 100 years ago, Carol Kent was quite a featured spokesperson for the pro-life movement, and she ran Mm -hmm. abortion clinics, I want to say three in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, and her story of coming to Christ and changing from a pro-abortion to pro-life is quite the story. If you don't Mm -hmm. know it, you probably do. But she made the comment, and again, my memory's a lot of holes in it, but I think in those days it was $1,500. It was cash only. Mm -hmm. And she talked about how much the physician got and how much the clinic got, and that it was underreported or unreported. Does that sound similar today? If it's only five hundred dollars, that's probably not going to be put on your, you know, your visa. That's going to be cash payment.
1: Yeah, and it depends on the type of abortion. Okay. So, abortions that happen earlier on in pregnancy, those are typically chemical abortions. So that's when you go in, they give you one pill in the office. And that basically cuts off every nutrient, everything. to the baby kills the baby. And then, you know, the next day you take the second pill. And essentially what that does is induces labor and causes you to contract. And then you basically pass the baby oftentimes in a toilet bowl. So that's what happens in early pregnancies. And then, um, you know, as... And
0: that's up to, is that the first trimester?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So those are first trimester abortions. And then, you know, as the baby gets bigger and older, those are surgical abortions. And so that's when they have to, you know, basically perform a procedure um, to go in and kill the baby and remove the baby, you know, and those are priced differently, but those increase price as they go forward. And heartbreakingly, it's actually a... A tactic of Planned Parenthood, you know, if a girl comes in in her first trimester and she's close to her second, they'll say, you know, you should really just book an appointment right now, you know, because the longer you wait, the more expensive it's going to be. And so you want to just get it done. You know, we can book you an appointment for, you know, this date, whatever. You know, there's actual tactics and talking points of Planned Parenthood to coerce and convince women into abortions. I've talked to women who have worked at Planned Parenthood and they testify to this, you know, it's also the reason Planned Parenthood does not show women the ultrasounds They keep the screen away because they know that if a woman sees the ultrasound of her baby, she's 70% more likely to choose life. And so it's a reason why they refuse to show women ultrasounds. You know, there's even been stories of women who have asked and they say, no, well, you have to file an appeal. And they have to go through this entire process to try to get a photo of their ultrasound. But again, Planned Parenthood does it on purpose because they are more concerned with abortion than, you know, protecting women and offering them real care and resources.
0: We have uh, dear friends Sylvia Slifko who runs ICU Mobile. I don't know mm-hmm. if you've run into Sylvia, but they have these converted travel trailers like mm-hmm. Winnebagos that they put a ultrasound in mm-hmm. and they reconfigure it to a, a nice living room feel, and, and they park across the street from Planned Parenthood. Mm-hmm. And the number of women that, precisely to your point, if they see a sonogram. And mm-hmm. they're given some options about, well, you can place for adoption. There's actually places where you can go stay while you're pregnant. Yeah. Uh, we have resources available after the baby's born to get you, mm-hmm. you know, your postnatal and prenatal vitamins and care and mm-hmm. so forth. And and they're they're never told this. Mm-hmm. And I forget the numbers. And, again, I don't want to misquote or misrepresent, but it's astonishing the number mm-hmm. of women who will choose to keep their baby once they've had a kind person say there are options Mm -hmm. As opposed to abortion and will help you. It's remarkable the effect that ICU Mobile has around the country. I forget how many of these units they have now, Mm -hmm. but they and and they've had very in God's kindness, very few altercations. They haven't had, you know, a lot of people getting storming mad at them and whatnot, Mm -hmm. but it's quite the testimony to what you have just said. When you step back and you think about this autumn, you're newly married, you're twenty One years of Mm -hmm. age, God's thrown you into an incredible uh, spokesperson for the pro-life movement, which I applaud and commend, and I'm I'm just blown away to see how God's using you. What do you think about in the next three to five years? First of all, let's just say RV Wade is tossed. We're probably going to have riots Mm -hmm. this summer. I heard and read this morning that the National Guard is being put on alert in certain states Mm -hmm. where they are anticipating this type of thing. It's going to be ugly. Uh, we might have some pretty dangerous days. What's the 21 year old young woman who's just kind of a, in some ways, you're the front piece of this young generation saying, no, these are people. They have made in the image of God. We had stopped stop this. What's it look like in three to five years?
1: I think even if Roe v. Wade is overturned, our work's not done. Actually, I think our work becomes a lot more important because you know you know this is what we've been working for in a lot of ways we want to make abortion illegal but we also want to make it unthinkable unnecessary and unavailable. And I think a lot of that is, you know, figuring out how can we walk alongside women to make sure that they know that they're not alone. Standing with you is an initiative of Students for Life that I work with closely. And the entire goal is to figure out, okay, what do you need? How can we help you? And how can we support you to choose life so that you succeed? Because we want these women to flourish and to succeed and to find joy in their pregnancy and their babies. But a lot of times they don't feel like they can. You know, maybe they find themselves pregnant and the first reaction is fear and panic planned parenthood's response is to capitalize on that oh you're scared you're panicking okay we can help you just give us five hundred dollars we'll kill your baby and we'll send you on your way The pro life movement is if you're scared and panicky, let's take away the panic and the fear, not the baby. That's not the response. And so, Standing With You works with women all across the country. There's actually a resource on the standingwithyou.org website where you can type in your zip code and it will bring up every single pregnant and parenting resource in your own area and in your community. So, whether you are A woman who's looking for resources or if you want to be a resource for those, maybe somebody comes to you, finds themselves pregnant, but they're scared. That's a great resource to go to. I think the pro-abortion side, they almost assume all women want abortion. It's something that they desire, but little girls don't grow up thinking about the abortions they're gonna have when they're older. Women don't want abortions and women don't need abortions. And so the response must be, how can we support them to choose life? You know, I actually saw a TikTok pop up of this young woman who works for a company called Jane Health, I think is what it's called. And she did a video on how to spot a fake clinic and not to go to them. And some of the things that she pointed out, obviously she's talking about pregnancy resource centers that provide free and life-saving care. It was things like, if they have free services, don't trust them. If they talk about Mm -hmm. abortion reversal pills, don't trust them. If they talk about the physical and mental side effects of abortion, don't trust them. And I just remember thinking, Okay, so we're telling people to be scared and to distrust these organizations that are impartial, who want to help you, who want to support you, and we actually want to create a barrier between women and free resources. That's what they're doing. The only thing they're doing by blowing up pregnancy resource centers and lying to people about these fake clinics is preventing women from having real, honest care. Well, what if the woman doesn't want an abortion deep down? What if she's choosing to have an abortion because she doesn't feel like she has any option? they're okay with that. They don't care if she doesn't have any other options. They don't care if she is sad, vulnerable, or if she's going to regret her abortion years down the road. They don't care. And so that's the work of the pro-life movement to stand up and say, I may not know this person. This may not really affect my day-to-day life, but I'm going to do whatever I can to make sure that this woman knows that she's not alone, to have the resources and the availability to choose life and to succeed in that Standing with you also works a lot with students on campus to make sure they know their Title 10 rights, which is, you know, you're not allowed to be kicked out of school because you get pregnant. You're not allowed to be kicked out of housing because you're pregnant. You know, a lot of schools actually discriminate against pregnant students, and so we want to make sure that they are aware of their rights Mm -hmm. and that we are supporting them to be able to finished their education, and also keep their baby. You don't have to choose. That's the pro-abortion side's favorite thing to do. You have to choose between the rest of your life or your baby. You might as well just choose the rest of your life and move on. But we don't have to pick one or the other. We can love them both. We can support them both. And we can make sure that these women are not left in the dust of Planned Parenthood.
0: Final thoughts, someone's listening, maybe a mom has just, you know, found out her teenage daughter's pregnant or a teenage daughter has just found out she's pregnant and she's Mm -hmm. terrified. And then a second part to that, uh, talk to the woman that's had an abortion and doesn't even know where to start.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I would say for parents, I think it has to start at a young age of having this conversation. You know, I know abortion is horrific, and I know that a lot of parents want to protect their children from having to even know about that. But I think something you have to realize is if your child is in a school, if your child is on social media, they're already hearing about abortion, but they're hearing about abortion from the pro abortion side. Planned Parenthood teaches sex ed in schools, and the reason they do that is because if they can desensitize students Mm -hmm. to sex, if they can encourage them to be sexually active, if they can get them on birth control that will most likely fail, especially when a bunch of teenagers are taking it, who are they gonna trust? They're gonna to go to Planned Parenthood. They're their future clients. It's all strategic for Planned Parenthood. And so parents really need to be aware of the attack on your children, of you know trying to desensitize them to what abortion is. And so we need to have the honest conversations. Your children should be shocked and heartbroken over abortion. And so I think having that conversation and also making sure that they know that if they do find themselves pregnant, I think a lot of young women who grow up in Christian homes, they're more scared of telling their parents that they are sexually active Active and pregnant than they are of getting an abortion. And so I think, you know, while we want to teach them the sanctity of life and, you know, the importance of sex in marriage and, you know, the beauty of it within marriage, you know, to save it for that, I think we also need to recognize that if something does happen, they need to be able to trust you and know that they can come to you. You know, I remember when my mom growing up, you know, we were always taught that sex is sacred and saved for marriage. But I remember having several conversations of if you ever find yourselves. pregnant, pregnant, you can come to us. There will not be, you know, punishment. We will be there to support you, to walk through this with you. And I think that that's a really important conversation to have with your young girls and your young men. You know, if you get your girlfriend pregnant, please come to us, you know, because this is a lifelong decision. And a lot of times it's made in a moment of fear. And so if we can help prevent that, then that's what we want to do. And for women who find themselves in unexpected pregnancies, I would say, you know, I just want you to know that there are so many options for you and while you may feel like your life is ending and you know this is the end of your future that's not true and there's pro-life organizations there's pro-life people who are more than willing and excited to support you even if it's you don't have money to afford it we do baby drives we do fundraisers but just also know that this decision is permanent. You are already a mother of a beautiful, precious baby. And it is your job to protect that life. And while I know that it would be incredibly difficult, I would just hope that you'd be able to be connected with resources to know that you can succeed, you can flourish, that the Lord loves you, that He loves your child, and He has a purpose for the life that is inside of you.
0: We've been talking to Autumn Lindsay Higashi, and you'll have all the information in our show notes, as always. Go back and watch her first Teen Vogue response. By the way, did you ever hear from Teen Vogue? Did anyone reach out?
1: I did not. Their print kind of ceased to exist a little shortly after yeah. that, so they're now yeah. only online. You know, so so maybe that that made a dip in their sales, but um, you know, who <laughs> knows? We never got an official <laughs> statement from them. <laughs>
0: Well, that'd be fun to have a discussion between that author and you some point. Autumn, thanks for your work and your labors. I hope you're encouraged. I hope you uh, can take the nasty DMs in stride and keep pressing on. God's obviously using you and Nate, and uh, enjoy this day. He's given you a great platform, and thanks for your courage, and thanks for your example that uh, other students will say, you know, let's think about this. This is a person made in the image of God, and we should do all we can to save that life. So thanks for all you're doing. Thank you. Did you know that In Context is fully funded by our listeners like you? If you are a regular listener, would you consider giving a one-time or perhaps monthly donation? You can give at michaelincontext.com. In Context is produced by Hannah Seymour, mixed and mastered by Sonomorphic, and music composed by Tycho and Blair Masters.